Well, hey guys, welcome back to the studio. Gangland Wire, retired intelligence unit sergeant Gary Jenkins, detective, sergeant, whatever. I did both jobs down there. So I had about 14, 15 years experience in the intelligence unit. I'm going to tell you a little story today about the Chicago Police Department Intelligence Unit. This was 50 years ago, January 21st. 50 years ago, I would have been maybe a young detective. No, I was a couple years prior to me getting in the intelligence unit. But anyhow, I had a captain, Captain Bill Duffy, who had assigned his detectives to monitor a known outfit card game. And I kind of a hangout at 1025 North Parkside on the west side in Oak Park. Many of you Chicago guys will know that area. And, and I remember we get this you know, something from the sergeant. And he says, hey, go by and check on these guys. See what's going on here. I did many of those myself. Sometimes you'd find something. Sometimes there'd be nothing. You know, after weeks of drive-bys and short-term surveillances, because you didn't want to burn the spot, you start seeing that there were guys showing up, real, you know, real deal mob guys. It wasn't just hangers on. It just wasn't people that liked to, to stop into some joint or some club just for fun. And we're not really mafia guys. Known outfit members were coming by and known associates and a lot of gamblers coming by. And, and they started, they pick up, here's how you do it. You pick up license plates and you see like who gets there first, who opens up, who closes up, those kinds of things. Who runs out? And we had one guy that were, it was in a location where they'd have to parking meters and he'd run out and plug the meters every once in a while. So, so who does what without ever going inside, you'd figure out, you know, the, the frequency of people and who they were. Certain people would show up at a certain time and stay there for a long time. They were involved in a game and a game that lasted a long time, which had been a big money game. Start figuring out there was a first ward loan shark and gambling boss named John Simatile. He seemed to keep the regular business hours. He was a guy that opened up and closed up. There was another guy, John Lardino, who was the president of the Chicago Restaurant Workers Union, was a frequent visitor. And he was, you know, a really well-placed outfit associate because they had control and they wanted to control that Chicago Restaurant Workers Union. Uh, outfit enforcer that was really well-known was an often that was an off that 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 often visited was Ernest Rocky in police. There was Sam Sambo Caricio. There's a West Side gambling operator named Frank Sarno. You have heard of some of these names, but in other words, this was kind of a secret meeting place to Chicago's outfit West Side crew. And then probably at the time they were kicking up to uh, Joy Doves, maybe Iupa. I can't I can't take off the top of my head. You know who was who would been the West Side crew leader at that time, but probably Ayuba, you know, you have to really be careful because once they're spooked, they realize there's surveillance on it. They'll just move. Even in Chicago, they'll just move in Kansas city. They would definitely move or they would change up everything. So January 21st, 1965, Captain Duffy brought all the squad in, even the guys who weren't involved in it. Because the surveillance had been limited just a few guys for security's sake. You don't want guys going out talking about, oh, hey, man, we found a, you know, hotspot gambling joint over here. You know, I mean, loose lips sink ships. Sometimes they don't intend on leaking it. Sometimes they do. So anyhow, they, they kept it quiet until it was time. And he had his, his Sergeant Michael O'Donnell call in other members of the unit and, uh, they sent a detective this one night. They sent a detective, Larry Schreiner, to get a woman friend. Back then, you didn't have any female cops. She might have been. She probably was a civilian employee or just his girlfriend or just somebody he knew. It was a little more loosey-goosey back in those days. 
and they parked nearby as if they were on a what we'd call a romantic tryst. Would that be the word? They made out or acted like they were making out. You know, maybe they really did. But they watched and reported back to command post exactly who they saw arriving. By then, you know, they had the people identified who the regulars were by car description and license plate number. Even if you didn't see exactly who it was, you couldn't see their face or something. You saw their car show up and it sat there for a little bit. They were in there. You know, they were kissing and necking, but anytime somebody would pass by, but then he they had a walkie-talkie and he would call in all the license plates and the known outfit members he saw going on, going in. And, and when the game seemed like it reached its peak and they thought there was enough important people present, because here's another deal. You don't want to hit it and have a bunch of associates. You don't want to hit something like this and have some nobodies anybody ever heard of. You want to hit it when some of the real deal outfit members are there. And so finally they got enough there and, and you, you could only wait so long. Captain Duffy just gave the order to move in. Back in these days, no SWAT teams in black uniforms and balakavas and, you know, stuff that hid their faces and all that. You see nowadays that makes that just nauseates me to see these guys doing these raids with trying to cover their face. You know, if you got to cover your face, Okay, you got to work undercover. You're working undercover. You don't go. You just don't go. The only reason they let them go is because they demand to go, or they're like these real aggressive guys that you want to keep happy, and they demand to go. And I mean, trying to keep them happy is in from the management standpoint. But I, I, to me, it's just weak management. You just don't let them go. No battering rams, no tanks, just the Chicago PD's intelligence unit, biggest guy. We would have had Harold Nichols, we called him Vito. We would have called had Nick or Vito kick in the front door. I've I've been there, man. I've been there. One time we tried to kick in a front door and it wouldn't go in. It would not go in. Finally, a guy came up with a nightstick and there's some glass in the door and he started breaking it. He got the glass broken out with a nightstick and cleared it out, reached in and, and unlocked it. They got the door kicked in. They all fan out through the house, say, hey, we're cops. Some got guns drawn. As soon as these, as soon as everybody knows that they're cops, they go ahead and put their guns up. And see, it's a little bit different now. If if we'd have done it here, we'd have just got the vice unit and, and some uniform guys to go do this. And we would have sat back until they got everybody out. Then we would have gone in. They didn't do that apparently in Chicago. So people got to know their faces a little bit. And they already knew Captain Duffy. They got all every here's what you do when you get into a deal like that. You get all the people that are present there, get them in one room, do pat downs if they got any guns, then get a uniform in there and guard the prisoners, if you will. You may or may not arrest them. Usually you just go ahead and call a paddy wagon, take them all out of there and down to the station. That way you don't have them watching you while you search around and everything which is, you know, leads itself to if you find some money, you know, we never had any problem with that, but but that can happen. Now, get methodical now. The sergeant will assign a two-man team a room, a particular room, and you guys are responsible for that room and bring to a central location exactly what you find. So then one, a couple of guys find they have the gambling room that's got a table set up. There's snacks and drinks and, and other things used whenever you're gambling, have a long-term card game going, whether it's Texas Hold'em or you know, whatever, maybe it's gin, all night long gin game or poker or whatever. Bring all the evidence of gambling to a central room. Take take pictures of it first. Of course, you're taking pictures as you first go into each room. And they'll end up arresting nine guys and confiscated over $14,000 from these men. That's a pretty high stakes game. And, and as well as for the men, but also a drawer in the card room where the 
the dealer would have had the money to sell the chips. In an adjoining room, they found a cardboard box filled with records. Ah, all right. They start thumbing through the records and they find names and numbers showing payments and balances due under names of people that that they could pretty easily identify as as probably loan shark borrowers, people who were outfit associates and businesses who were connected to the outfit. These were all connected to this big John Simatile. But, you know, during this whole thing, they reported later that the labor leader, the Chicago Restaurants Workers Union, John Lardini, kind of took charge and told everybody to cooperate and don't make trouble for the officers. And in, lots of, in, in a deal like this, that's usually what you'll have. In the end, the officers connected the ownership of the house to the loan shark, Big John Simatile, and all the loan shark records were also connected to him so they can make a case on him for that. So that's just a little story about a gambling house raid that was a real deal in Chicago. And, you know, in my time, we never raided like that. A few years before my time, they did do things like this. But in my time, we never did this. It was, uh, it was more a hide and watch and, and see what was going on. And then in my time, we went right into a mob war. And they also started working on the skim. And, and so there were a lot bigger things going on than, than raiding a gambling game. And by that time, Vice had almost quit raiding these little gambling games. I think they were still raiding a few of the black games, uh, black dice games, just to let people know they were out there. But they, they quit quit raiding the Italian games. And there were so few. And they, they nobody really even knew they were there. The only reason they raided the black games is because everybody in the neighborhood knew they were there and there'll be troubles or shootings or something in around the game. So that's uh, that's a little story of vice and, and intelligence work in the 1960s, if you will, just before my time in the intelligence unit. Thanks a lot, guys. Don't forget, I like to ride motorcycles and if you see a motorcycle out there on the street, watch out for them. Just, you know, give them a wide berth and pay attention to them, if you will, and look for them, too. They're hard to see. Many times I've had drivers pull right into me and, and because I knew they didn't see me till the last minute. I had to make some evasive maneuvers. I had a couple of guys cut at, take cuts at me because, because I was able to scoot around them real easy in traffic and it pissed them off. <laughs> so... If you have a problem with PTSD and you've been in the service, be sure and go to the VA website and get that hotline number. And if you have a problem with the companioning drugs or alcohol, VA will help you with that. But if you're not in the VA and you got that problem, go to Anthony Ruggiano. He's got a website, got a hotline number on there. Don't forget to like and subscribe down below. If you're on YouTube, uh, give me a review. If you're on the Apple podcast, you know, you can help in many ways. And, and those are ways you can help. Share it with your friends. Tell your friends about it. And, and, you know, this is a Chicago story. You need to pass this around. Post this on those Chicago Facebook pages. Say, here, here's a little known story, kind of an interesting story about the Chicago PD and, and the outfit. So thanks a lot, guys.